Hey, my name is Augustine Colebrook. I'm the principal at Midwifery Wisdom Collective. My focus is on big picture political movements that are happening within the profession, some of the controversial questions, and centering voices that are not being regularly heard. I'm Layla Wyatt. I am a traveling student midwife, learning midwifery from cultures and a lineage of midwifery throughout the United States. I'm here to center the voices of students to hear their calling, their pathway, why they chose midwifery, and even share a bunch of birth stories along the way. Greetings, I'm Jamara Amani. I am a midwife, a mom, and a social justice activist. I am here to challenge white supremacy, homophobia, transphobia, and anything that keeps people from being their best and living their best selves as we have the human right to do. And I am looking forward to sharing stories of birth justice on this podcast. Hi there, Delmar Dalton. I am non-binary, queer, transgender, midwife, and full-spectrum female. My focus is on increasing access and equity in midwifery care and midwifery education. Hello, my name is Angie Love. I am a community nurse midwife in Vero Beach, Florida, at the practice of midwife love. I also do telehealth midwifery through Midwife RX. I'm a mama, and I am committed to maintaining birth choices for all people and educating a future generation of midwives because we will not die out. Tell us who you are, what's your name, your pronouns, where are you today? What's your story? Why did you go into midwifery school? And what school are you in? And why did you choose that school? Okay, okay well, start with, uh, start with who you are. That was like a whole paragraph of questions, but <laughs> let's go for it. Um, I'm Krista. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, and um, I am currently in Northern California studying to be a midwife. I have eight catches left before Woo-hoo! I'm certified and hopefully, and all of them are due. I have 12. I have a, I have a buffer. Um, I have 12 clients that are due between now. I had two clients go into dates today um, and the middle of March. Okay, so 12 and 12 tech to go that, that way you have a buffer if they transfer uh-huh. Are any of these, your continuity of care births. No, I'm finished with all of my continuities, but with the way that that our clients work at the practice I'm at, uh, pretty much all of them are continuity. Right. I have basically had 15 continuities at this point, but a lot of them ended up transferring. And that's actually part, a big part of my story, (laughs) but with my primary season, but, um, and I'll, I'll definitely get around to that for sure, because it has been a journey just this last year has been like this last year of school has been the most incredibly growing and shaping and reshaping and humbling and empowering year of midwifery school. And I've been doing this since 2016. So it, it's been a, it's been a journey anyway. So okay, so uh, seven hi. years of school or eight years of school? five, five. five. Okay. I can't do math. Five. It, by the time I graduate, it will be five and a half. Okay. Yeah. It's okay. Math isn't supposed to be something that we're good at. We Thank need to be goodness. Good at there was just one class for math. Yeah. <laughs> No, checked out that requirement. Thank you very much. (laughs) Done. Um, But yeah, so the beginning of midwifery school was a fascinating one for me. 
Um, I actually have wanted to be a midwife since I was in third grade. So yeah, my older sister got pregnant with twins when I was in third ish grade, I'm pretty sure. Um, And I remember the day that she told my mom that it was twins. My mom yelped and danced and got up and was just like, oh my gosh. And I was just like, like, I'm, I'm just an enthusiast at heart, like that every part of me is just ready to celebrate and party and be stoked and, and to jump up and down for something. And (laughs) anything that other people, like anything that I watched other people get excited about automatically just drew me in. And so I was watching my mom get so excited. I was like, what in the world? This is the coolest thing. Like, wow, pregnancy, what? Twins, wow, okay. And then I watched her belly grow over those nine months. And I remember being so deeply enthralled by the process of it. And I never got to go in for an ultrasound, but I remember my sister bringing back picture after picture after picture of these are the twins like they're growing so much just like super excited and uh but being in northern california we are considered rural and so uh the hospital that we had the only hospital that we had access to at the time would not do vaginal delivery of twins and um I remember sitting in that waiting room for the C-section to be over. And I remember asking my mom, hey, if you, if you say that God is the one that put these babies in her belly, why does a man have to get them out of her belly with scissors? Wow. That doesn't make sense. And my mom didn't know how to respond. She was just like, I don't know. Sometimes that's just how it works but it planted a deep seed inside of my heart of just like, oh, this actually, like this feels wrong because I was always told, I grew up Christian. um, I was always told that God has plans and that everything that he makes is perfect. And so if he made our bodies able to have twins, then wouldn't it make sense for our bodies to actually birth the twins? And so, um, that was one of the one of the first moments where I actually started asking questions about pregnancy specifically. I've always been a question asker. I'm always the person who pushes and and dives a little bit deeper, like challenges people like why why is this the way that it is? This makes no sense. I need you to tell me exactly what your motives right. are. Explain it to me. Yes, yes. And so that was the first time I had started really asking questions about pregnancy. And um, a few years later, I read a book called Jacob Have I Loved. And it, in the book, it was, um, the main character was this girl who was a twin. And I actually have a pretty interesting theme of twins in my life for midwifery specifically, but um, she was a twin. She was the strong twin. Her sister was very weak and she had a lot of health issues and had to go to the doctor regularly. And the main character worked very hard to support her sister and her mom. And because her mom was a single parent and I believe her dad died or something. And basically it was on her to support the family. 
And so she was always doing odds and ends jobs. And the book was beautiful because there was a lot of character development throughout where she started realizing a lot of truths about herself Mm. and started breaking off big uh, lies about who she was, about what her family was, um, what her responsibilities were. She started putting up boundaries and learning how to say no to things. And it was really empowering. And people learning boundaries and saying no is always going to be one of my biggest like victories. I, I love, love boundaries. Um, so I think that probably was one of the reasons why that started inside of me. But um, at the end of the book, she became a home birth midwife and the very last couple of pages was a story about her delivering a set of twins in the home during a snowstorm. Mm. There is a strong twin and a weak twin. And she, of course taught, the book comes around full circle <laughs> uh-huh, because it has to be poetic right, and, right. and wonderful. I love it. Um, and it had, you know, I had to bring it home. Right. Exactly. But, Yeah, but she, when she was born, the doctor or the midwife, I can't remember, basically put her, the strong twin, away and focused on the weak twin and taught her parents how to love the weak twin, but never gave them any instruction for the strong twin. So she's now in this situation and she helps this family birth these these twins and she actually gives the strong twin to the family and takes care of the weak one and then teaches the parents how to love them both mm. and um, change up their own um, behaviors to love them equally but differently. And that was when I realized, oh, midwives can actually change the way an entire family unit operates. And midwives actually have the the influence to change the way the next generation thinks about their children, um, prepares themselves for parenthood, uh, parents and loves their kids. Like we actually have a huge influence in this very vulnerable time span in a a couple or an individual's life. And um, it's, it's very powerful. And so that I think that I read that in fifth or sixth grade, but I've always had the mentality of like a future because my parents always had mentality of right. future. They were like, we're going to save this money for your generation. We want to make sure that we can figure out how to pay for your schooling because we're not going to let you start adulthood in debt, things like that. And that carried on into my mentality of what am I doing right now? that can change the history or change the future for the next generation of either my family or other students. What can I do right now that's setting up my family line for success? And um, so that really touched me. And then in junior high, I watched the, the documentary of the business of being born. And that is what convinced me that I wanted to be a home birth midwife and not a hospital midwife because I didn't want it to be a business where I took advantage of every person that would walk through my door. I wanted it to be a relational exchange of, um, of, of family and community and information and care. And that basically was the moment when I knew that I was going to be a midwife. 
I had a couple of adults in my life in high school age that spoke a lot of death over my future as a midwife and who were like, oh. midwifery is phasing out, OBs are phasing in, uh, there's no such thing as a home birth anymore, you don't want to do it, they don't make any money, uh, like just a lot of garbage that was not true at all, fun fact. Uh, so I actually ended up putting away my dream to be a midwife and I started studying uh, social work. And I did one and a half semesters in college for social work. And I had the worst panic attacks and anxiety attacks that I've ever had in my life because I wasn't walking in my purpose and I wasn't actually pursuing what I was supposed to be. And I kind of feel like it was like people, you know, how you get these, these like responses all the time from pregnant bodies or pregnant families that you serve. And they're like, oh, people keep trying to talk me out of home birth. And they're telling me all this fear, fear, fear. And so I changed to an OB and I'm just feeling wrong and everything's yes. <laughs> it's what it feels like is people were like speaking this like fear about over you about home birth and trying to get you to go the obstetric route for a hospital birth. And you're like, this is wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I tell my clients all the time, people that speak those things over their pregnancy or like speak their fear over their pregnancy and their, their desires for labor and delivery, what they're actually doing is they're trying to use them to heal their own experience. Oh yeah. And just that, that extra processing and like expression of their pain and their trauma doesn't actually help anybody because it's not in a place where they're actually getting good feedback or they can have somebody helping them through it. They're just constantly vomiting this fear and this pain. And it's so sad, but yeah, anyway, so yeah. So you were in, sorry, you were in your year and a half or your no semester and a half of yes. social work. And I said, screw it. Like there was a two week period where I just couldn't get out of bed because I was so depressed and I, I was so full of anxiety. I could not get myself to the school campus. Oh. It was so bad. My mental health, I don't think has ever been that bad since. Um, and so one night at whatever, two in the morning, I was just sitting in my room crying I was like, God, there has to be something different than this. Like, I, I don't want this life if this is what it's going to look like. So I just started just researching what in the world could I possibly do? Like, let's just maybe take a gap year or something. And I had a high school instructor who uh, tried really hard to talk me into going on a gap year because he knew that I was burnt out from education. I'm I'm a lifelong learner. I am not a lifelong schooler. <laughs> I hate school. Everything sense. is so arbitrary and dumb, but, um, I took his advice. I was like, maybe I'll just pursue a gap year. So I ended up traveling for a year and I lived in a couple different countries for three months each. And when I was living in Zambia, I was invited to a birth and mm. I wasn't able to go because the team I was with just wouldn't let me go. It was like a safety issue thing. And I was, I was very deeply angry at not being able to go. And I heard that uh, from the other women in the village, I heard that the birth went flawlessly and it was gorgeous. Mm. But then my friend who had had the baby was now in her cultural 40 days of being taken care of and waited on hand and foot. And so I wasn't allowed to go and see her in the baby. Right. And I was devastated. And in that moment, well, there was like a week long period of processing it where I realized, oh, I'm, I'm even more devastated right now because 
I know that this is what I'm actually supposed to be doing with my life. And I'm, I'm here supposed to be and I'm stuck first. here in yes. Zambia. <laughs> exactly. Working in a preschool. Like that right. is not what I wanted to do with my life right. at all. I love kids because they're wild and ridiculous, but I don't love kids. Like right. they are not my favorite part of humanity. Okay. <laughs> um, so anyway, so I got back, I worked for a year and a half ish, but one of my friends all of a sudden posted about her home birth. And she was like, born at home into the loving hands of my midwife. And I was like, what that exists. And so I messaged her. And I was like, hi, I need your midwife's information today. And she's, she's like, okay, sounds good. She's like, yeah, here you go. We're so home birth mamas and home birthers are so eager to like share their midwives. Oh yeah. They're like, please everyone in the world. Exactly. So I contacted that midwife and I was like, um, hi, I'm Krista. I want to be you. How can I take you to coffee? And she was like, yeah, absolutely. So I drove up to Reading where I live now. And I, we had a three hour long coffee meeting. And in that time, we outlined my entire future of how basically from point A, where I was to point B, getting to be a midwife and establishing my own practice. And she was like, you can do it. I know that you can do it. And this is how I was like, okay. So I found myself that the, by, at the end of the week, applying for mercy in action, getting in and moving to Idaho in about a month and a half span. Okay. Uh, there's going to be so many more questions now yep. in this. Yep. <laughs> okay. Yep. Well, you keep going. Okay. So I moved to Idaho. I did the, this was back when Mercy in Action was doing their intensives. So they would have a single semester intensive, and then you would go back to your, your home territory and you would study with the midwife and finish your academics via, uh, uh, what is it called? Where they basically, you just turn everything in online. Uh, it was called something different than it correspondence right based now. learning. Correspondence, yes. So yes. actually, let me um, let me ask you a few questions. So okay. why did you choose Mercy in Action then? What was the uh, reason? A few things. First of all, that was the school that the midwife had gone to. The only okay. midwife that I knew had gone to. And second of all, they had the best website. I did mm-hmm. not understand MCU's website. I did not understand National College's website. Everything confused me and I'm a huge communication person and I just wanted somebody to outline exactly what to expect, exactly what I was getting myself into, the finances involved. Like I just wanted it to be laid out full informed consent and that's what Mercy in Action gave me. And so I said, okay. So you chose Mercy in Action, but why did you choose Mercy in Action over, like, I hear what you're saying, NMI and, I'm sorry, NCM, National College of Midwifery and um, and MCU's websites and, and pricing and things like that. But why Meek over PEP? Um, so- Or over CNM? Like- Yeah, I had been told multiple times that I should be a CNM and I- had thought about it. I really did think about it, but I just have never loved the hospital setting period. I have never, well, (laughs) I have now had a traumatic hospital experience, but previously when I was starting out school, I hadn't ever had a negative hospital experience. I just wasn't comfortable there. And it, I, 
the other part of it too was the documentary business of being born. Um, just recognizing that the hospital system is very much tied to insurance companies and ul ulterior motives rather than um, practitioners actually being able to do what they feel convicted of doing and mm -hmm. they believe to be the best treatment. And I didn't want to be held down by any sort of expectation or uh, contract. Yeah. So and then why not PEP? I didn't know PEP was a possibility at the time. So my research, be, I was so shut down mentally and emotionally yeah. that I, the only research that I could actually stomach doing was what I was suggested to do. There was no self-starter inside of me because I was so, my mental health was so bad. So when I was told that Mercy in Action was an option and uh, along with National College and MCU and Bastier, those were the, right. those are the schools that I was given. Um, you just research those for schools. Like yes. these are my options. This is my research. Got it. Yes, exactly. And so I chose, I chose uh, Mercy in Action. So 2016, they were able to produce California midwives and I was super stoked about it. I moved to Idaho. I lived in community with 11 other women. Why um, did you move to Idaho? For the intensive, the semester okay. intensive. Okay. That was so the way it worked was like you would go for a whole semester in Idaho. Mm -hmm. And then you'd go back to your, your home or wherever you can find a placement and finish your education. Hmm. Once, once a year, like one semester in Idaho every year. You would go for a whole semester, the first, the very first semester. And then every semester after that, you would come back for a single week or like a weekend type of a like a three to four day intensive where they would give you do skills uh, and they did CPR and NRP with us. Right, right. Stuff. So Ooh, they don't uh, do that anymore. They don't do that anymore. No. <laughs> and I mean, COVID changed a lot, but the semester that I was in Idaho also changed things pretty mm. dramatically. Second semester, uh, like midway through, I find out that California laws changed and Mercy in Action was no longer just able to satisfy those requirements. Why? Like what about Mercy in Action? Is it like it the basic curriculum or? Yeah. So there were a couple of requirements <clears throat> that they just didn't have for California midwives. And I'm to this day, I'm not even quite sure what they were. I know one of them was that they didn't offer a chemistry unit or a class. And so that didn't satisfy the licensing requirements. And there were a couple mm -hmm. of other things like maybe microbiology, right? you know, dumb things that we do actually need to know, but it just, it feels like just jumping through a lot of hoops. And uh, so they asked me, if I would want to help them spearhead the California program and uh, help them figure out the requirements and basically design something for myself because I was the only California student. Ah, gotcha. And they would give me a break on tuition. And I was already bitter at the school. I right. was already uh, working really hard. I was at a practice that was really busy. I was working part-time. I was doing all of these things. I moved to a new city in order to be able to work with a midwife. Mm -hmm. All of these things were just started adding up. And I was like, no, I can't do that. And 
in that process, I also realized I don't actually want to be with Mercy in Action while they figure their stuff out. Right. I would just rather transfer to a school that already had their stuff figured out. So I dropped Mercy in Action, applied for MCU, ended up basically not being in school the entirety of 2017. And uh, because the application that I sent in to MCU didn't, right. wasn't effective until the winter trimester of 2018. Yeah, so you so, left Mercy in Action and yeah. went to MCU. Yes. And they obviously must have fulfilled the California requirements at that time. Though. Yes, they did. So that was great. They were meek. They, they had everything that I needed. Some of my credits didn't transfer for Mercy in Action, mm-hmm. um, which really sucked. I had about 250 hours worth of prenatal, like clinical uh, experience that I had to scrap. I had 18 births that I had to scrap because MCU refused to acknowledge that it was assist level because I wasn't in their assist level. Right. One of my, mm, so angry about it. And I'm still pretty angry because I've now attended 103 births and I could have legitimately been done over a year ago if I hadn't had arbitrary, uh, I don't even know what to call it, just like guidelines that didn't actually work for me, but I had to be put in the system that is like one size fits all for everybody, you know, anyway. Which is where PEP may have been great for you, right? Like the PEP process for you would have been a lot better because you've already said like overstimulation from too much and too much going on. Uh You had a lot of births, like way more than the norm process, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's not California. I don't think PEP is California, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I needed to graduate from a Mika accredited school. Yeah. Yeah. So... (laughs) So you're in, you're in Reading now. Is that where you've always been for your preceptor? Yes. So I moved in February of 2017 after that first trimester at Mercy in Action. I moved to Reading because that's where the midwife was located. One that I found and interviewed for three hours. Right. Okay. Uh, I ended up working with her and her partner midwife at their practice. And uh, when I dropped out of Mercy in Action, I was asked to also step down from being a student because I wasn't in a formal student right. or formal education. I was just attending births and um, their reasoning was bogus, but I'm glad that I had to step down because I would have been doing all of that work with- For nothing. It wouldn't have counted towards nothing. anything. So yeah. yeah. So I ended up becoming a firefighter that year and I just did that for <laughs> a season worked on like a volunteer life. firefighter or no, like you dude, went I got to paid school. I got paid good no mm-hmm. I I worked mm-hmm. with heavy equipment so my dad was a firefighter my entire life right and so I just asked him I was like you have any openings for a job for stuff yeah. yeah and I grew up operating heavy equipment so it wasn't like it was going to be that big of a deal and he was like heck yeah I've always wanted to work with you so oh my I did all of my trainings and certifications and stuff really quick and I joined him uh in the wilderness and fought some fires with him 2017 and 2018 so that was really fun but 2018 was the year of the car fire and the campfire and uh mm-hmm. if you know anything about those fires that happened in Northern California, 
uh, it was two as of 2018, they were the deadliest and most uh, destructive fires in California history, both right next to each other within a couple months of each other. And uh, one of them burned the city that I live in now, Redding. One of them burned my hometown and my family's towns in the outskirts of Chico. And uh, there was a huge, it, oh my gosh, the PTSD. It was like, it wasn't a, an issue that we were struggling with mentally. The PTSD was just one big tidal wave across the entire North California right. areas. Like everyone, it was, it was everybody. just high anxiety, high stress, high fear. Yeah. And you know, what's really interesting, the timeline that you talk about, I mean, how would you have stayed at Mercy in Action and been attending birth during all that? Oh yeah, I never would have been able to. No. Yeah. I mean, I, I probably mean, could have, but- it would have just been so completely different and I wouldn't have been able to evacuate the way that I did. Like it, it was just, well, yeah. I'm like how you, you would have been like behind and clinically because everything oh, yeah. took a pause. And then, so I don't know. I find that just really interesting that like, I feel like you wouldn't have continued through midwifery school during that time anyways. Yep. Yeah. Um, you hmm. know who I want to give a specific shout out to is Gina Gerboff. Um, at MCU, she and Jody Palmer literally walked me through so much BS in that season of my life. I was literally like, Hey, my house almost burned down. Um, I just witnessed so much death in my community. I'm trying to finish these classes, but I just can't. How do I pass? And Gina was like, do these two assignments and I'll help you pass your class. Right. Without breathe, like taking 5,000 extensions and getting behind. Yep. Yeah. Yep. She's just like, move on. You mm. do not need to revisit this class. I mean, it was breastfeeding. So, or chest feeding yeah. and I needed that information, but she was like, when you're done with school, yeah. go back, read the textbook, right? go over all mm. of your coursework. But right now you just need to move on. And I was like, okay. Cause I literally had flashbacks of me packing my stuff. Every time I tried to sit down to do a practice guideline or uh, open that specific textbook. Wow. And it was, it was crazy how it hit me, but um, yeah. So I'm a pretty circular thinker. So where was I? We were talking about kind of why you moved to Reading and, oh, yeah. and I was, my, my reason for asking that question was like, sound in it, in your MRI, it sounds like it was the same pre same midwife who kind of like helped you find this journey. Mm-hmm. Um, have you stayed with that preceptor the whole time? No. Okay. So in 2017 and 2018, I made friends with these incredible individuals that uh, felt called to go back to Long Island, where one of them was from, and to start a church. And I made deep relationship with them. I really loved them so much. Literally the best community, um, very vulnerable conversation, very in-depth, and um, they really sought out health, emotional and Mm. mental health. And I was learning to have a high value for that. And so I just kind of stuck onto them like Velcro and fell in love with them and ended up moving in with one of the couples. And they were like, Hey, just let you know, we're moving back to Long Island. Uh, We would actually love it if you came with us to help us like establish this thing that we were wanting to do. And I 
like, would you want to come? And I was like, no, 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 California or um, New York doesn't allow CPMs to practice. And I would be illegally studying if I was there. And so I'm not able to go. And uh, I fought it for about a month until finally one day I was walking, I was walking down the hallway. Is it okay to talk about God on this? Yes, totally. Um, I was walking down the hallway and um, very, very clear voice said, if you want to go, I'll make it happen. And I was like, wait, what? Are you sure? Okay. And I was like, can, can I actually go? And he was like, if you want to go, I'll make it happen. And I was like, okay, I want to go. And within a week I was connected to a, the only midwife on Long Island who was willing to study or willing to train a CPM student. She was fabulous. Uh, and um, her previous student and um, they were such an incredible gift for me while I was living on Long Island, but I got connected with them. I had set up for a house to live in. I had finances click into place. All of a sudden I could afford to do it. It's like, okay, I'm going. So in 2019, I moved to Long Island and I studied with the uh, midwife out there and it ended up being good for a while. I learned quite a bit from her. Was she a CNN? CNM. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So she was funny as heck. I thoroughly enjoyed my time with her, but she was not verbally kind. And, um, I wasn't quite verbally abused, but I was called an idiot multiple times. And um, that's abuse. Shut up, Krista. Like, come on. Like, you're so smart with your ability to like have boundaries and say no and like understand mental health. And you're like, I wasn't abused, but I was called an idiot. I'm like, yeah, you know what? But I didn't learn a lot of those things until after my experience with her and another midwife in Colorado. But um, anyway, so she called me an idiot a couple times. She made fun of CPM education multiple times. And basically I didn't feel like I was ever going to win with her of like, can you please just see how hard I'm working and that I'm learning a lot and I know what I'm doing, but she never gave me opportunity. I was basically just her glorified lap dog that took vitals. And that's all I was ever allowed to do. She did teach me how to draw blood and that was wonderful, but that was the only skill that I actually learned from her. And, uh, after a while, I realized that and I- And what phase were you in at this point? Were you assist. in, you're in phase two. Yes. She's, she's signing off on prenatals, births, postpartums, newborn exams. Mm-hmm. Like at least you're, yep. you're getting the numbers. Getting numbers, but in the entire- Right. Six to seven months that I was working with her, anything? I think I got- no. Did you get births. numbers? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I got eight births and, uh, but I got a lot of prenatals. Right. And then she also wouldn't even tell me about the postpartums. I would just be texting her and be like, Hey, when are we supposed to go to so-and-so slash? And she'd be like, Oh, I already took care of it. Like, mm. ah, like I yeah. need those, but right. yeah. So it was just, well, and so one of the things that kind of sounds like to me too, and like, I'm going to call out all sides that I see is like, it right. kind of sounds like you didn't have a very clear communication with her about what you needed. No. Right. Like you didn't well, sit down with her and say, listen, my school requires that I attend postpartum visits or my school. And again, I mean, maybe you did and she ignored it, but it kind of sounds like there wasn't a conversation in the beginning of your, of your visits where you Mm -hmm. were like, here's what's required of me over the course of this year. 
I yeah. need to learn these skills yeah. and I have to have an opportunity for these skills. And to do that, I have to attend these things. Here's how I'd like to do those. Like, again, I know you're, you know, younger and things like that, but um, girl, you have to take responsibility for your own expectations. Yeah, no, that's so true. And um, I was not good at communicating with her specifically. She had this gruffness about her. Um, not only was she New Yorker, but she was also CNN that has seen mm. some things, you know, and so right. she just had this gruffness about her and just like, tell it how it is type of a personality. And I just was so shut down every time I was around her. Like I enjoyed her so much because like she, she, because she's fun New Yorker, right? Yes. But it's, she was the, wonderful. it's the fun New York. That's also yes. like, <laughs> oh my gosh, exactly. I mean, homegirl was a DJ in a past life. Oh like, my God. Literally lived so the nightlife cool. before she decided to become a midwife. Super right. cool person. Uh, I, yeah, it was just, it was just rough. Like the, between the two of us, and the, the dysfunctions of the two of us, it didn't work. Mm -hmm. And so I broke up with her and I was like, Hey, like I actually did it feel like a breakup. Like I, yeah. you say it like that, but I'm, I'm just, I'm just saying like, did it feel like you had a breakup? Like that's yes. it's a, just an interesting term. Yeah. So, uh, the way that she responded was very hurt and very confused. Mm. Uh, and I, I, after being called an idiot, like there was a little bit of a, a trauma that had started building up inside of me. And so I was like, oh, I'm not safe. I'm not safe. I'm not safe. And so I would be in her presence and I'd be completely shut down and I couldn't, couldn't actually verbalize anything. And she had from the very beginning said that I wouldn't need to give her a warning if I quit. And so I was like, okay, like, I'm just going to quit. And so I quit and she was like, well, do any of my clients get to see you at their births? And I was like, if they beg for me to be there, I would love to be there. But otherwise I, I need to be completely done. And then, um, that was in January of 2020 and COVID hits a couple months later. Right. And I, <sighs> New York started going insane Oof, and I was, I mean, all of Long Island panicked. There was like a couple boxes of rotini on the shelves, but other than that, all of the other pasta was gone. Like all of the, there were fruits and vegetables, but all of the, the shelf stable stuff was gone off the shelves. We couldn't find toilet paper anywhere. Everybody was in full panic mode. Fear was just like at like crazy levels. And I was in a tiny ass apartment with two other grown, grown adults. And we all shared one bathroom. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, get me out of here. And I had a friend, one of my friends that I met at mercy in action. She was almost a midwife. She called me and she's like, Hey, word on the street is you don't have a clinical placement our, like in a 48 hour period, we had over 60 phone calls asking if we could get Pete, like increase our client load and we need help. We want to be able to serve this community, but there's no way that the two of us can do it. We, we need help. And I was like, yep, done. So in a, I think it was like four days later, I had packed up almost all of my stuff, um, or at least all of my wardrobe. And I drove to Colorado and it took me four days to get there. And I ended up being there for three months. 
with uh, her and her midwife. And then uh, by the time I was done in Colorado, I knew that I was going to be moving back to California. So I drove to New York, was there for a month, and then I drove from New York to California. But how many births did you get in those three months then in Colorado? I want to say it was like six, which was insane. Like they just, they either transferred care Mm. or they like all of the late transfers of like, get like, get me out of the hospital, get me out of the hospital, right. all in like the 28, 32 week period of time. And so they all ended up coming into dates right after I left. And in the meantime, I just, once again, took vitals and charted right. and observed. So you ran a bunch of prenatals. Yep. So many, but not as a primary, as an assist, right. because that midwife had a freaking control issue, dude. It was crazy. Like she would not let me do anything. And that was one of the, one of the reasons why I ended up deciding to come back to California was because I was tired of starting over with a new midwife, gaining trust with her right. and my skill set and my knowledge base. <clears throat> and then finally getting to a point where they trusted me and then it being my time to go. Mm. And or like, it just no longer worked for me to stay there or whatever. And I needed a place for accountability for my skills so that I could actually get real help and, um, be told where my, where my holes were. I was just going to say, do you feel like you were able to like start feeling who you were as a midwife? Not at all. Not Not at at all. I gathered a whole lot of information about what I didn't want to be and the type of midwife that I despised but um, not at all any sort of personal policies for how I wanted to practice Mm. Um, or even who I was as a student, let alone a midwife. And that was really hard. So one thing that you mentioned was like that the midwife was very controlling. Like, do you feel, what do you feel like her fear was in that? Um, Her fear was people. Hmm. Uh, disappointing people, fear of not meeting expectations, fear of people not liking her, fear of people having judgments against her. Like, for instance, let's let's talk about one very specific example. Homegirl wanted to make money on ultrasounds. She did not like the idea of sending her clients to another office to get an ultrasound done. So what she did was she purchased a used ultrasound machine and then hired an ultrasound tech. Brilliant. Totally brilliant. I loved that idea. She had the money to do it. She was starting a very big birth center. And it was- Might as well have ultrasound day. Might as well. Yes, exactly. One day a week, she would have an ultrasound tech come and do all of the Mm 20-ish week. BPPs, NSTs. Yeah. Yep. All of that. Loved that idea. She was taught by another midwife in the area who is very judgmental about ultrasounds and actually didn't even want her clients doing ultrasounds, period. And so she would talk them out of doing an ultrasound, very biased midwife, did not do informed consent at all. And so she was deathly scared of the midwife finding out that she had an ultrasound in her office. Of her other mid, the other midwife the in other the community midwife. finding the out that midwife. she had an ultrasound in her office because, because she, because our community me. midwife, because community midwifery is catty and mean and 
rumor stricken and yep. we can't fix each other's crowns. We have to tear them down. Exactly. And so she was so scared of that being the story that she refused to, she told every single client, do not tell anybody that you're getting your ultrasound in this office. One, mm. two, I accidentally mentioned one time on my story that I like it. I asked right. the ultrasound tech's permission, but she brought her son into work with her. And um, it was like so cute. Like, don't take a picture. So share the story. Like, yeah. Yeah. We have, I we can already see that. I'm like, this yeah. is so cute. Yeah. He was running me through his diva game, like video game yeah. on his iPad. And we were just having a great old time. He said something hilarious. And I, I was like, hey, would you mind if I post this? And she's like, oh, yeah, no problem. I don't care. It's like, okay. And I mentioned my ultrasound tech son, blah, blah, blah. blah. The <sighs> midwife that I was working with, had a whole team of people that was helping her start this birth center. And one of them saw my, my post, apparently she was being paid to stalk me and to see how I talked about the practice on my stories. And she said, Hey, just to let you know, your student went AWOL and let the world know that you have an ultrasound tech. How do you feel about that? I was reprimanded and told that I was not allowed to publish anything on my story while I worked with her. One. Now, let me just confirm. This is a licensed yeah. ultrasound tech. This is not licensed like, she, there's tech. nothing Everything sketchy going board. on here. Nope, nothing. Absolutely nothing sketchy. She freaked out on me and told me that I wasn't allowed to post my stories. I needed to watch what I posted on social media. She didn't like some of my vulnerability stuff because I'm mm -hmm. a very open. Um, yeah. Like today was hard. This was challenging. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm baby time or wow, right. I just had a pretty rough birth. Like if right. anybody has encouragement to share, that would be great. Little, little things like that. Did you start student midwives anonymous? Yeah, I did. Okay. This makes a lot of sense now. <laughs> just saying for anyone listening who is on the student midwives anonymous Facebook group, you should join. First of all, yes, it's please. awesome. We do not Great. get on there and bash midwives, no. but it's a safe we space help for with students to come in and do what Krista is saying. She felt like she couldn't do, which was reach yes. out. To, yes. Oh, and you're talking to the founder. <laughs> <laughs> I love you it. You know so what? I started it while I was working with this midwife. I don't doubt it. Like I'm literally sitting here. I'm like, this is the, when she started the Facebook group. Yep. Yep. Like, exactly. She just started the Facebook group right here. This, I just, I just had that realized moment of when you started the Facebook group. Yep. Okay. So ready for the next thing that I, I think this was my very first post in the student midwives anonymous. Oh, I'm going to scroll back. I'm going to look at it. Yeah. Up. Yeah. <laughs> One of my very first. Um, I was at a birth with this, with this mom who I think it was her fifth baby or sixth baby had never had an unmedicated birth before at home, afraid of the hospital. And that's the only reason why we're doing it at home. Mm. Okay. Uh, she calls us because she's not recognizing her body. It doesn't actually know what's happening in her labor patterns calls us at about midnight. I had gone to bed at 11 PM because I was doing homework right? We're all guilty of this. But that's um, always how it works though. Like we lay our head down on the pillow and we're like, okay, I guess no one's calling us for the night. Yep. Ring, ring, ring. We it's get like, called. Oh my gosh. I get called at midnight and uh, we go to this parent's house and she is absolutely not an active labor. 
No yeah. way she's in active labor. She's sitting on her birth ball, talking to us, just hanging out with us and um, like making jokes and little funny comments. And uh, I looked at my midwife and I was like, we're going home, right? And she was like, nope, we're going to stay here. And I was like, hmm, this is not what I'm used to. Why are we, why are we staying? And she said, I have found that um, sometimes when moms call us a little bit early, it's because they just need a little extra support. And I said, do you know any doulas? Right. Like you this, any... we need a doula. We need a yeah. doula here. Yeah. Do you know any doulas that we can call and um, recommend? Like, like doulas that are in training that want uh-huh. free births yeah. to get the experience. So easy. And uh, this midwife used to train doulas. Mm, yeah. So, so you like, know a bunch of doulas. She knows a lot of doulas. And she said, no, she needs her midwives to support her. And I said, hmm. I mean, on the other hand, I have also seen tons of birthing people where we walk in and I'm thinking the same thing. I'm like, this girl's literally making a sandwich, laughing and joking. Her belly is not getting hard during surges. And it was needing, it was like once the midwives were there, Mm -hmm. she felt safe enough to go into active labor. And it's like this weird psyche. So like, I'm just listening to your story. I'm like, maybe that's what your midwife is thinking. Yeah, And that could very well have been what she was thinking. Um, and I said, okay, cool. Well, it's 2 a.m. now. <clears throat> I've gotten a single hour of sleep. I'm going to take a nap because I'm not seeing us getting called for anything. Did you do a cervical exam? Uh, yes, we did. And I think she was four or five centimeters and not in active labor at all. So I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to take a nap then because it could very well be a long night. And my midwife goes, no, you're not taking a nap. I was like, do you want me to labor sit while you take a nap? Like this is standard policy and procedure for me. Like we, we have a standard for sleep and rest because that's what makes midwives safe when they're exhausted, right? Yeah. Getting in the rest that they need. And um, she was like, no, I find that, um, Parents actually feel abandoned when their care providers um, go to sleep during their births. And I said, mm-hmm. okay, so we're just going to potentially stay up all night long, not have a brain when we're actually needing to manage a hemorrhage or a shoulder dystocia or a resuscitation. And I'm probably going to completely shut down and I'm not going to be able to recover very easily from this birth. She was like, if that's your outlook on it, then that's your outlook on it. And I was like, okay. So I tried, I tried to stay awake, but it's now six in the morning. She and the other, and my friend are doing um, administrative work on their computers. I didn't bring my computer stuff because I'm not supposed, like, I'm not about to do schoolwork and homework and yeah. Um, and so I like, I'm bored out of my mind. She also won't let me be on my phone because that's unprofessional. And so I'm just sitting there, literally just sitting there, like falling asleep, nodding off, like just not able to function. And we don't have a baby until eight or nine in the morning. And 
in that, in the meantime, I've gotten nothing done. My midwife is totally shutting down because she's so exhausted. We end up having a hemorrhage and we're not able to actually manage that hemorrhage very well. And mom loses way too much blood. And we, we, (laughs) we leave that house. I'm kind of shaking because of adrenaline and lack of sleep. And honestly, like I felt super unsafe and like, I felt like it was really unprofessional for us to not take care of our needs so that we could actually provide care to this client. And um, I'm also angry because some of the complications that ended up happening could have been avoided. Yeah. And she goes, we're leaving. And she goes, okay, who wants donuts? And I'm like, I don't want donuts. I want to go to sleep. Like I want to go home. I want to go to sleep. And I rode with her. Oh, one of the other things is that she made us meet her at her house 10 minutes out of the way before we went to the office because she wanted us to ride with her to the office. To go to birth. Oh. To yeah. the office or to births, whatever. But she didn't let us take our own vehicles. So that was also weird and annoying. But um, so she's like, Who wants donuts? And I was like, I don't want donuts. I want to go home. And she's like, Oh, you don't get to go home. We have a full day of prenatals today. And I said, No. I'm tapping out. I can't do anything. And she's like, well, if I can do it, you can do it. And I said, you shouldn't be doing it. That's the problem. Like you shouldn't be doing it. What if you get called to another birth tonight? Exactly. And I, I was so shocked and she's like, well, I'm, I have prenatals that I have to do. And I said, is there no other midwife that you can call to cover you at all? And she goes, nope. So she, we went back to the house. I got in my vehicle. I went back home. And I said, screw you. I'm going to bed. Um, I took a two hour nap, met them at the prenatal office. And she was so mad at me. She wouldn't let me do anything, mm. even though it was a two hour nap. And then um, I think it was the next birth. She uh, didn't let me go to the birth itself. So I lost out on that entire opportunity. She ended up losing that baby. And, um, I wasn't there and everybody else was traumatized except for me. And like, that's, that's just how it, how it worked out. And thank it was, goodness you weren't there. Yeah. Like I am so thankful. I wasn't I mean, there. maybe, I don't know. Part of me is like, I'm glad you weren't there because of the trauma. And that is a hard thing to go through. Mm-hmm. The other part of me is like, you, I mean, again, there's two sides to every story, but it Mm -hmm. kind of sounds like you're the person who might've been a level head and maybe you could have helped at the birth. And I don't know, was it an avoidable outcome? Um, it wasn't her fault. It was actually, um, the, OB at the hospital that they transferred to. Oh, so they did um, transfer in intrapartum. Yeah, they transferred because it was a breech baby and there was meconium everywhere. In Colorado, is it legal to do breech at home? No. So you, they get to the birth, the ho- they get to the home. She does mm-hmm. a cervical exam. She feels a butt. She transfers. Well, they get to the home and there's meconium everywhere. Okay. Like, cause baby's breach and it's like fresh uh-huh. meconium coming through. Uh-huh. Um, she stress. transfers Heart immediately. Tones. Heart tones. I think we're in the eighties <clears throat> or nineties transfer immediately. The EMS fights with them about, 
uh, transferring and my, the midwife was literally just yelling at them, get this woman to the hospital now. Uh, they finally did. They called the hospital in advance. So they had about 15 minutes to call the anesthesiologist in. Um, they didn't. It's interesting that they didn't have an anesthesiologist on. Like what, what, what about stat emergency C-sections? That doesn't happen at that hospital? They didn't have a delivery ward at the hospital. It was a very rural Got area. Got it. Yeah. So, uh, the anesthesiologist took his time getting to the hospital and baby died while they were waiting for him to arrive. But yeah, so that midwife was like, like, I mean, I call people crazy semi-regularly, like what are you crazy driver, whatever, but right, like, right, right. she was, there were just some, some things that were off in that yeah, space. Yes. And so much of it just had to do with her her lack of boundaries and expecting everybody to follow suit in it Mm. and just being so unhealthy interpersonally like she would bully you into submission it was so weird I hated it so much well and you know there's something to be said about preceptors that um has I've been told a lot whether it's on this podcast or been speaking to other students um about their desire to have you do things the exact same way they do them. And that's their understanding of what education looks like. Mm -hmm. Right. So, and don't get me wrong. There's a time and a place for that for sure. Right. Like a new brand new baby student midwife who doesn't really have like her vibe yet their vibe or, or their like understanding of, yeah. Or like safety and what we're doing here and things like that. The, the precepting midwife can say something like, when you are doing this, I need you to do it exactly like this, just like I do it, because that's how I'm teaching you. And if you want to go to another midwife and she does things differently and you want to do it that way, that's fine. But when you're with me, I want you to do it my way. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's great. And other times that suffocates the student's ability to become the midwife herself. You're a critical thinker in yeah. any way. No way to become a critical thinker when you're told you never get a like a a space to think when doing these things, you need to become a robot and do them how I do them. Um, There's a safety part in that, but there's also a non-safety part in that because as that midwife student becomes a midwife, the why behind how, why we did those things doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And so when something is different, I'm going to say something dumb, like a new, a new IV bag and the freaking spike doesn't look the same. And they're like, Uh I don't, where do I put it? You know what Uh I mean? Not the same kind and they didn't put it in the same way. And it's like just teeny tiny things like that um, can be really challenging when you're with a preceptor that either doesn't like, it's one thing to say like, Hey, I need you to do it like this. Cause this is what, cause this is how I'm doing it for this birth, but let's go home later and talk about why you Mm want to do it differently. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, cool. That'd be great. But uh, it, it does sound like there was there was almost like, you really have to do it this way because there's not space or time or room for your presence of midwifery in my practice. Yeah. Well, and I, so I love what you, what you're talking about, because that's my biggest complaint about the midwife that I'm currently working with right now. Mm. She's, um, undiagnosed OCD. And, um, everything has to be exact 
but there's, there's a difference between, I want you to have my philosophy so that Mm. this, so that you can understand what I'm coming from. And this is what's important for my practice, because I believe that midwives need to be practicing this way. And like, that is one difference between that. And you have to open up the bag exactly this way, or you have to clean the speculum in exactly this way at this exact temperature with this exact soap. And one of those makes sense because I can see where you're coming from and I can hear what your practice is and I can honor the thing that you've built. And I can, Mm. I can come and partner in that thing with you and support you in what your agenda is and what your heart is. The other doesn't allow me to even build muscle memory or figure out a system that works because I'm constantly just being told over and over again, no, do this, do this, do this. Like if this doesn't make sense for my body and my natural movements, then I can't actually figure out how to do it. So then I'm, I'm over here fumbling when it's my first time doing it by myself without you in my, in my ear. And I, I have no ability to problem solve it. Right. What if it doesn't work? What if the, what if one of the steps in the chain of command breaks? Uh Uh-huh. How do we keep going if we don't know why? Yeah. And my brain doesn't work that way. I am not a system person. I am a, a value and oversight understanding person. Right. So if if I understand why this is important, I will make sure this never breaks. But if you just tell me A, B, C, and D, when C breaks, I don't know what to do to get to D. Like, and I don't know why it's important (laughs) that C even exists. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, do we really need to go back out to the car and get another one? Because if it doesn't happen, then someone could die here mm-hmm. or because mm-hmm. I don't know why we need it. That's so interesting. And so yeah. with why, why did you leave Colorado and go to Redding? I mean, you mentioned like you just knew you were going to go to your back home. Yeah. So um, my experience in Colorado, I knew that I needed a long-term preceptor for accountability. Mm-hmm. I right. knew that you holes. could not find, you could not grow and develop if you were going to be only short-term placement. Exactly. And the midwife in Colorado was an option. I actually did ask her if I could stay just because she had such a high volume that was coming in after I left. Right. <laughs> but um, she had such a high volume. I was just like, I would love to just get my numbers done and then get out of here. Would that be okay? She was like, yeah, sure. We can do that. And then shit hit the fan. And that's when like everything, like her personality shifted a little bit. And she, that's when I started really realizing just how controlling and crazy she was. And um, at that point, like, I was like, oh, actually I'm making the decision to not stay. I need to find mm. a long-term placement. Yeah. And, um, at the, like, that was on a Friday afternoon where I realized, oh, I actually need to have a higher standard for myself. And this is really where I started figuring out just how passionate I am about student preceptor relationships and, um, the, the communication involved with that. Um, Because I realized, oh, actually, it's not just she's not good enough for me or I'm not good enough for her. It's that we have competing motivations that are not working well together. They we have no chemistry in this relationship. And 
if she was a partner of mine, I would be, I'd be breaking up with her. Right. And so why would I want a person like this to be speaking over my future as a midwife and investing in me? If like, I don't want to waste her time by like, she's investing all the stuff in me and inside I'm saying, I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. you." Yeah. When I, when you said like, yeah, so I sat down with her and I was like, let me just get my numbers on get out of here. Did not sound like the really, the, what it should sound like. Nope. That, that is, is not, not what it. a healthy relationship and for with your preceptor should sound like. Not at all. And, um, I recognized my own heart posture. I recognized my complete distaste for this woman mm. and I recognized her, uh, fear of my, my needs and my vocalizing my thoughts and my opinions. And I recognized that it was not going to be a healthy apprenticeship in for either of us, really. She needs people that are codependent and unable to think for themselves. And I need somebody who's willing to give me freedom and um, space to, to think and analyze mm-hmm. and, and make decisions. And uh, so I recognized that it wasn't going to be healthy for either of us. Uh, and we ended up deciding that we were going to have a conversation and both of us were on the same page that we didn't want to work with the other. Interesting. That's good. That's so good. It was so good. Um, the communication style that was used was not good and I was blamed for everything, but I had already come to terms with everything and was already like sitting in my, my, my good posture of like, whatever you say, it's actually not going to affect me. And if you need me to be the scapegoat, I totally will be. That's okay. Like you're not in a place for correction to be brought. And so that's okay. I'm just going to let you have this. And this was after the loss, right? This was after the loss. There's so much that that person is so much that midwife is exploring within themselves. Um, so yeah, honestly, my so, love and my heart goes out to that midwife so much. I know, me too. And I really wish, I really wish like the, my heart for every midwife is to see where you are falling short and to actively work on those areas and then get therapy. Mm-hmm. Like, honestly, like there is, I don't understand the stigma of therapy being a shameful thing when we experience so much on a daily basis we need to be talking to somebody about it and we need to have counselors and people telling us, Hey, you're not crazy for being affected by that. That really sucked. I'm so sorry. And I, I talked to this midwife and I was like, dude, like you need to talk to somebody about this. Like that was traumatic. Are you okay? And she's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Like, I don't, I don't need help. I'm stronger than that. Like, okay. That's also not somebody I want to learn from. Like, yeah. I mean, and that, that birthing person is, is, is traumatized. How, I, I don't know how midwives help others heal. If you are ignoring your own trauma. Yeah. Oh, I don't either. I'm, I'm gobsmacked regularly by some of the things that I've had clients who've transferred into care yeah. or friends who have like the things that they <clears throat> Like, oh yeah, well, my midwife said this, this, and this. And I'm, I'm sitting there like, oh, how did that make you feel Mm -hmm. when she responded that way? And Mm -hmm. they're usually like, oh, like 
ignored and like pushed off to the side, like brushed off. I'm like, yeah, because they didn't acknowledge your pain because they aren't able to acknowledge their own pain. They're in shutdown. I'm so sorry that that's how you responded to, you know? Oh man. I'm so passionate about this part of midwifery, like the interpersonal relationships, but also like emotional and mental health portion. Yeah. It's hard. Well, and we, you and I, and the other cohorts at MCU and Mercy and NMI and Bastier and pet process. Like, honestly, I hate to say it, but like, we really, lit- I don't know if every generation says we're going to be the change. I don't think that they do. I really don't think that any other generation of midwifery sat down and said like, we're going to change this traumatic part about student life because this isn't acceptable or we're going to be the change. I don't, I really don't think maybe I should ask them, but we like, there is legit, like every single one of us is like, this is all bullshit. There is generations and generations of midwives that have passed down catty, terrible trauma. We are no longer standing for it and we will not do it to our students. And this is going to be different. And heck, I hope I don't see how it's not going to be because we're like angry. I know. We're yeah. like mad. Righteously <laughs> angry. Yes, <clears throat> angry. So, yeah. okay. So you leave Colorado, you go to Reading. Yeah. Well, so I have that conversation with her on like a Friday. On a Friday. Yeah. On Monday or on Saturday, I wake up and I'm just like, okay, I need to find a long-term placement. Mm. And within 20 minutes, of that, I get a text from the midwife here in Reading. Sit and it literally just says, Hey, I just wanted to let you know I love you and I miss you. And I've been thinking about you. And if you ever wanted a placement, if you ever needed clinical practice, I would love to have you back. And I was like, Okay. Girl. <laughs> that was absolutely planned. Like that was so sovereign, you know. So I I texted her and I was like, okay, let's talk. And I went on a walk and I talked to her for about two hours. We went over all of the, um, the, basically her entire contract with a student went over every single detail, every single expectation, every, which single- is not something you've done with other yeah. preceptors. Yep. And I love that you picked up on that trend. Exactly. I, I, I was like, what are your expectations? What are your boundaries? What are you able to provide for me? What do you want from me? All of those things. And we hashed it out. And I said, um, I said, do you pay primary students? Cause at this point I'm getting ready to test into possibly doing primaries or whatever. And I said, do you pay your primary students? And she said, no, absolutely not. I never will. And I said, okay, that's going to need to change. Hmm. And she said, it won't. And I said, um, there, I, if, if that's not going to change, if you still refuse to pay me by the time that I'm in a primary role, then I'm going to need some way to make money. And so you need to be thinking about my need for finances and we're going to need to game plan that together. And that is either going to look like me being on call with a schedule or me being paid in some way by your practice. And she said, okay, yeah, we'll talk about it when we get there. And I said, okay. Everything else felt right. It sounded good. I was like, yeah, I'll sign that contract, whatever that looks like. Went, moved to Reading. Um, I got here August of 2020. I started with her September, 2020. 
tested into primaries in December and I got all of my numbers that I needed to get by December, um, passed the exams into primaries. And uh, in January, I caught my first baby. And uh, it was very exciting, very wonderful. And between the time that I got here in August and between January, I probably mentioned to her, hey, we need to talk about finances about once a week to once every other week. And finally in February, she sat me and the other primary student down and she said, we need to go over the new contract. And I said, there's a new contract, okay. And she said, I've made some changes and she goes through them. She's like, you're not allowed to talk on your phone while you're, while you're at births, you're not allowed to do these things. And a lot of it was, it, it was triggering my need for um, uh, freedom. And I was like, um, like I get some of the standards that you have, sure. but I'm not going to commit to not texting on my phone if we're at a birth because I there are plans that I need to either move around or appointments sure. that I need to change. Like that's not an, a realistic expectation. She said, okay, yeah, you're right. I can move that. And then she goes, and I want to start paying you a student stipend every month. And I said, okay, sounds good. And like, there was a moment where it was just deep satisfaction. Right. And then I just completely broke down and started blubbering in her presence. Oh. <laughs> and it was like, finally, like there's a midwife who not only values my, my value systems and my standards and my, my needs, but is also actively listening to me, mm. you know? And yeah. it was like, it was the first time. And it felt so good. And she and I have worked through so many things. Like she is the first midwife who is humble enough to say, you're right. And the humble enough to be like, I actually don't know the answer right. to that question. Right. Can we talk that through and see what can work? Hmm. And the amount well, of peace that it's- So how long has she been a midwife? She's been a midwife for 15 years, 16 years. I'm trying, and I'm, this is probably the wrong thing of me to do, but I'm trying to like put like these like time frames around these midwives. Cause I feel kind of like it's the older midwives that are not the safest and right. It's like the the last generation of midwives was kind of finally coming into what we're experiencing but she does i mean she doesn't really super fall into that category so <laughs> you know what do you think was different about about her ability to say like wow that's a great perspective i'll change my practice guideline because of that interesting information you gave me or you're right i don't know so let's figure it out together or mm. i will never pay my primary and yet she changed her contract because that was something that was important to you. Like, what do you think, why was it different for her? I think part of it is just the way that like she's wired. Uh, she <clears throat> has a high value for what is right. Mm. Not necessarily. I have a high value for what is safe. Mm. Um, she has a high value for what is right. And so if it's a procedure that makes sense or that, should be implemented because it's slightly more evidence-based or whatever, that is what she will do. Hmm. Um, 
she also, she and I have history. So she was the first midwife that I ever studied with, uh, years prior. Right. And during that time that I studied with her, I was at her and her family's house, probably three to four nights a week, uh, because they didn't have any other community. It was just her. And I put in the hard work of having hard conversations with her. And then I came back basically as a friend with an established relationship and she knows my heart. Like she had took mm-hmm. the time to hear me and understand me and know that I actually want what's best for midwifery, not yeah. for me. I want what's best for Shasta County, not for my practice. I want what's best for um, all of the providers in, in our area, not just midwives. And so she was able to hear that and see that and know that everything that I asked for um, came from a place of deep thought and deep value. And um, so she actually knew that she could listen to it and trust it. What one thing that really comes to mind that you um, that you said, it's kind of like you built a relationship that was deeper than just, I need you to sign and I'm going to be your cleanup, yeah. right? It's like- yeah. It was more than just a student and midwife. It was more than just sign my papers and I need you to teach me skills and Mm -hmm. I'll clean up your birth space and I'm going to be a burden and you know everything, right? It was like such a deeper relationship that brought you to have a safe space to talk about things that were deeper than just basic clinical work. Yeah. And so you're still with her now? I am. Yeah. We have come to a point in our relationship where I now have deep seated beliefs about how midwives are supposed to be practicing and what I want to be like as a midwife. And that is not modeled in the practice that that she owns. And so, um, it's become a point of tension and I feel so bad about it because she has done nothing but, um, bend over backwards and try just like work so hard to provide what she needs to provide for me. And I'm over here, like an angsty teen ready (laughs) to just graduate and like peace out with my parents and like go to college. Right. (laughs) And like, or move out or whatever. And we've talked about that a couple of times. Uh, and I, and I'm just like, Hey, just like, I'm like, this is the way that I communicate. And she loves it um, sometimes most of the time, but I, I like, I had to pull her aside and be like, Hey, like, I need you to know I am filled with tension and I'm so sorry. Like it is coming out in really poor communication. It's coming out with some random attitudes. And I'm so sorry. I am keeping myself in check. I am trying really Hmm. hard to swallow some of the things that I'm thinking and feeling because I'm not judging. I mean, is it just simply kind of like you're wanting, you would do something different in your practice. Yes. And I'm not because you're so close to being in your own practice. Mm -hmm. There's this very strange feeling of being like outgrown. Yes. Yes, exactly. And I've, and I've described it to her, like basically be like, been like, here's a window into my heart. 
right. Here's what I'm feeling and the way that I'm thinking. And I know that it's not fair Mm. to you. And I'm so sorry. I am actively trying to, to put myself aside while I finish this up with you, because I respect you and I value you, but it's not removing the tension. And Mm. I, if, if I respond in ways that are less than honoring, please call me out on it because sometimes I feel like a kettle that I like that's about ready to start whistling because I just have so much tension inside of me that, that, I, that I can't quite work through. Yeah. And every time she's just like, wow, thank you so much for explaining right. that. Thanks yeah. for telling me. Yeah. yeah. Do, do so you that- feel like anyone else in your cohort like is running into something similar to this because they're at the same space, like part of their journey. Yeah, I would say, I would say so. So it might be a normal thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, Most of my cohort graduated last semester. I am graduating this semester because of meningitis stuff that happened. Yeah. So I'm a little bit later, but, um, <laughs> you know, just, it's just one more thing pushing me back off. We're fine. You know, fires, um, meningitis, traveling yeah. to three different preceptor sites. Oh it's my fine. gosh, bro. I, now that I like, I look at my journey as a midwife and I, uh, to become a midwife and I am able to actually see all of the huge life stressors that took place. And I'm like, oh yeah. Like I actually, I was, yeah, I persevered through that. Yeah. <laughs> And I, in that moment, while I was doing it, I was like, I'm a mess. Like, this is awful. I'm not good at this. But I'm on the side. I'm like, oh, like you did that. I'm so proud of you. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, um, I think a lot of them too, uh, at least my friends that I would be graduating with, um, a lot of them just kind of took it as it came. And they have personalities that are very much more peaceful and um go with the flow and I am not I am the rock that stops the flow and makes the flow go around it and that's how I've always been I've always been very opinionated very like deep Mm -hmm. feeling Mm -hmm. deep convicted deep or deeply convicted passionate person and so like if I'm thinking something or if I have an opinion about something unfortunately I can't not act on it do you plan when you graduate to stay yeah. in Reading and have a practice yes. in Reading? Yes. And how does that midwife that you're with feel about that? Oh, she's stoked about it. And that's okay. one of the greatest things about her. She's like so supportive. She says over and over, I'm so excited to be colleagues with you. Like, mm-hmm. I know that you, you just want to break free and I'm so excited for you too. And I'm yeah. stoked to see you succeed in the type of care that you want to provide. Uh, because yeah. she, she's like, I can't do that. Like, I don't have the same heart. I don't have the same setup. I have a very high volume. I'm not going to be able to provide the care that you want to provide. Right. And I'm excited that you are going to be an option for this community. And that's like the best thing that you could ever hear. It is. Yeah. Tell you. Well, it's kind of cool too. Cause it kind of sounds like she recognizes that you're a colleague and not competition. Mm-hmm. Which of course we should all see each other as a colleague and not competition, but there, it is kind of nice when one person offers like a very different package. Cause then it's like, I'm obviously different bro. Like you don't need to like think I'm the same person as so-and-so like there's a, there's a midwife for everyone. And when it's 
obvious that you're a midwife for this type of person or for this type of group or for this type of experience, it is kind of nice, right? Like just to be able to say, I'm probably not the right midwife for you if you don't want to do any ultrasounds. Uh Uh-huh. Right? Like it's okay to be different and not see it as, as like less than or better than or competition. So yeah, that's so so real. That's so real. (laughs) And yeah, going, going from, or going to that from the Colorado midwife who literally was like, if you decide to be my student, you need to sign a non-compete clause and you will not be a midwife for a minimum of two years in this area. I think it was like a 80 mile radius or something like that. Ooh, that just gave me chills. Yeah, dude. Like when I saw that, that that was in the contract, I was like, uh, no way in hell am I signing. Whoa. (sighs) Yeah. Okay. So So. people listening, please read your contracts and please have a contract. Yeah. Yeah, Have it. Okay. If we're talking about like warning signs of preceptors here, let's talk about contracts read every single word and ask clarification on every paragraph that is confusing. Um, Ask for clarification on vague expectations. What does this actually mean to you? Can you please spell this out in a situation? Will you explain to me how this might play out and why this, this wording is in this contract? Um, If you are working in a high volume practice, and you become a primary, figure out what it's going to look like for you to get assigned clients. Is it first come first serve whoever claims whoever? Or is it, hey, like no matter who you are, you are going to be assigned to a student and this is my policy. Like, is it, are you going to be advocated for? Like, is your midwife going to be like, hey, like, I am a teaching midwife. This is my practice. You will be given to a student and this is my protocol. If you don't like that, then you don't have to choose me. Or is it going to be, oh yeah, well, you need to write an email to each each individual client requesting that you be part of their care and they get to tell you if if it's a yes or no. Interesting. What is that protocol going to be? What does that look like? And ask them to spell it out. They're it like literally nothing good comes out of a gray area because so many people will have different expectations depending on their perception of that gray area. Um, So it has to be talked about and it has to be clean and it has to be a solid conversation upfront. Do not let time go. Like do not get a month or two into a preceptorship and start discovering issues before you take a look at what the expectations actually are for you. And if something comes up, ask questions, remain curious about um, their policies, their procedures, their way of doing things. Do not just pass judgment on it, but remain curious and um, see what they say and see what their explanations are. And if a preceptor does not want to explain it, they just say, because that's what I do or because that's my protocol, run away because you need a preceptor who's willing to teach you the whys, not just the what's. Mm. Um, I, I would absolutely make sure that you could, if you're a drinker, 
make sure you can have a glass of wine with your midwife and, and neither of you are judging the other person. Like if you have a very conservative Christian, uh, religion, then you need to make sure that your midwife is respectful of that and not going to constantly make judging or judgment or, uh, or sorry, judging comments about it. If you are, um, a very, um, charismatic or, uh, colorful individual and your midwife is very conservative, you need to make sure that they are okay with that or willing to let you live your life. Like you, there cannot be interpersonal judgments and, uh, complete, uh, almost like a hatred for the way that you live your life. Like right. at the end of the day, you are going to be spending more time with this midwife, with this individual than you probably will be with your families some, some weeks out of the year. And you need to know that you're going to not only enjoy their presence, but also um, be willing to share ideas and share your heart with them because midwifery is emotional. It is mental. It is physical. It is spiritual. Like there is so much involved. And if you are not in alignment with, or even in a peaceful relationship with the individual that you share that experience with, then you are not going to have a good time. And that's just fact. Like, it's not like you can only pretend to be somebody else for about two to three months before you start breaking. And, um, that's why relationships fall apart in the romantic world. Why wouldn't it fall apart in the midwifery world? You know? Yeah. Those, that is some, those are some facts. Those are some red flags right there. What about like some green lights? What are things like for people that are like looking for the preceptor? Those are awesome red flags. What about like, these are great signs. This is what you're looking for. Um, when a preceptor asks, what do you think? Uh, Mm. when they, when they ask, how do you learn? Do you feel, do you feel like you're learning enough with me right now? when they ask things like, uh, honestly, most of it comes down to communication for me. Um, when they're asking things like, um, hey, what are some needs that you have? Do you, are we going through enough skills? Do you need a skills workshop? What, what is it that you are working on with uh, homework right now? Stuff like that. Um, a preceptor who it gets really excited when you bring new information to them and not, well, that's not how I've done it. But instead asking, oh, can I see the information for what you're talking about? Do you mind showing me the evidence for that? Because I'm curious. Like people who remain curious, who remain learners, who remain malleable and easy to talk to, those are the people that you wanna work with. Even if you disagree with them about things, if you are able to communicate through those disagreements and both of you are open to that discussion, then it's going to be a beautiful relationship no matter what. Um, Preceptors who, so one of the biggest things for me is if you have a high volume practice and tell somebody that they should be able to just keep up and not complain about it, that's a huge red flag. But if you, if there's a preceptor who's like, Hey, yeah, I have a high volume practice and it's stressful and it's crazy. Let me know if you need support or if you need an on-call schedule so that you can have a job while you, while you do this. Great. Let me know. And we'll work something out. Like literally 
anybody who's trying to work with you for your lifestyle or your current um, setup for life is going to be a huge green flag. Hmm. Interesting. I love those, those uh, uh, red flags and green lights. <laughs> so yeah. we'll call them from now on red flags yeah. and green lights. Red flags, green um, lights. <laughs> where can people find you? Like, um, vent on your Instagram, your Facebook, where can people follow your journey? And do you have like a Venmo or a cash app where people can support your journey? Oh, snap. Honestly, when you asked me about that, like I was so caught off guard because like I've been, I think one of the, one of the parts of midwifery studenthood is like this independence of like, I can do it on my own. I can make it on my own. Like, I don't need, I don't let need people help. buy you a cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah, dude. Like when you said that, I was like, Oh, that's right. Like I'm actually doing really hard stuff right now. That would be yes. incredible. Actually, there's a, another student at MCU. Shout out to Rebecca. She like will see me post something on Instagram or she'll be like, hey, this is your last semester of school. Coffee on me and just send me five Isn't bucks. That the best? Like, I had someone do that to me yesterday. I was like having a really rough day and like I I happened to share my rough moment on uh -huh. social media. And next thing I know, like I got a $5 Starbucks gift card to my email. And I was just kind of like, you don't understand how big of a deal that no, makes. you don't. So like people out there listening, send, send five bucks to your, yeah, to your fellow dude. student, just send some coffee over her way. That, or yeah. like send food, you send know, food. Like, you can Instacart to anyone's address. I cannot tell you, I don't think that I have felt more loved and more seen than when a friend literally sent me a enough for like for a specific burrito that I really love at this one, at this one place. And she was like, Hey, like, I, I see you have a burrito. Like I, I had come back from a traumatic birth, a very yeah. traumatic birth. Um, client was transferred and was seizing by the time she got there. And I had like, it was a long night. It was crazy. And I'm just like, I'm literally crying all my stories. Like, like birth work is not for the faint of heart. And she goes, you're right. You have a burrito. It's <laughs> like, Okay. <laughs> yeah. But it made the difference and it was like, it broke it up. It broke it yeah. up. Yeah. Seriously. If you are listening to this, just go buy a student midwife, a cup of coffee or a burrito yeah. or send them Instacart money or cash app. So yeah. How can people find you? How can people send you a burrito? Um, yeah. So on, let me actually look at my actual stuff. Um, on Instagram, my handle is Krista with a K. So K-R-I-S-T-A, Noel, N-O-E-L-L-E -E underscore. And then my cash app is, gosh, this feels so weird, but so exciting too. My, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I know. Um, my cash app is Krista Wurlitzer. So it's K-R-I-S-T-A-W-U-R-L-I-T-Z-E-R. Thank okay. you so much, Krista, for yeah. being here today. I'm so excited for your journey. We cannot wait to cheer you on. You only have eight more births to go. And by the time oh this airs, by the time this airs, I bet you'll be done with those births. <laughs> I really hope so. That would be so wonderful. Oh, say something to yourself oh. when you're done with all, to all these births. What mm -hmm. would you say to yourself when you're all done? You fought really hard. 
but you learned so much and I'm really proud of you. Go drink a beer. You earned it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> You're not on call for the first time in your life. You can do it. <laughs> <laughs> not for long. Not for long. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Oh,